You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. If you got a Bible, you can open it to Psalm 91. Uh, Karen already read a, a portion from that text, but that's what we're going to be looking at today, uh, the 91st Psalm. Again, like she mentioned, these are uh, the songs that Jesus would have sang in church. Uh, That's why we call it his playlist. This is like Jesus' hymnal, and he would have worshipped singing these songs. And so as we uh, look at this today, um, I want you to be comforted by the fact that God inspired this song. Um, I'm not going to sing it for you, but I I want you to know that the poetry that we see in the Hebrew language was sung uh, for thousands of years and and still is. And so um, as we jump into this and we look at Psalm 91, it's really a... A, a psalm about comforting and, uh, and, and consoling the fearful, helping the fearful. I don't know if any of you find yourself fearful all the time. Um, it's weird that, that we have different things that we're afraid of. We have different phobias, right? Like some of us are afraid of spiders or snakes, uh, uh, you know, different, different things like that. Uh, my son Judah and I were watching Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark last night, you know, and, and Indiana Jones is seemingly afraid of nothing, right? He's like very courageous and brave and running through the jungles and all this stuff, but what's he afraid of? Snakes. He said, I hate snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? And, um, and for me, it's like I can watch scary movies, but if you, like, if you try to take me to a haunted house, no says I. Like, I'm not, I'm not going in a haunted house. I don't know what it is. Like, I can watch it on a screen, but I can't be in a haunted house. I just can't do it. I can ride a roller coaster. I can't ride a drop tower. I don't know. Some of y'all might be the opposite. I don't know. But just like we all have different tastes in food, we all have different fears, different things that scare us. And, and whatever your fears may be, I, I promise you that, that the Bible alleviates fear. Maybe, maybe not the practical fear of being afraid of spiders. You might be afraid of spiders your whole life. Uh, but the Bible gives us a, a spiritual courage to overcome any spiritual fears or anxieties we may have. And so if you find yourself fearful, perhaps a, a better word that, that, would, that would bring it home for you, if you find yourself anxious, then, then this psalm is for you. You see, Scripture commands you 365 times, that's one time for every day of the year, to not be afraid. But Scripture repeatedly, over and over and over again, uh, calls you to fear God. Now, how how do we reconcile those things? How do we understand that we're supposed to fear God but not be fearful? Well, God alleviates and eradicates fear of things we shouldn't be afraid of by giving us a right reverence and respect and fear for who He is says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And so, um, especially, I think, in, uh, in the Advent season, at Christmas time, we are uh, constantly bombarded with anxiety. Like, like my sister sent a text that said, um, for, for those of y'all that are expecting presents from me, your presents are still in my thoughts and prayers. Like, it's just... <laughs> to be decided if that's going to happen or not. You know, like we let silly things like, like our shopping list like grip us with anxiety. And if you find yourself gripped by anxiety, it may not be shopping, it may be uh, grief, it may be the loss of a loved one or the fear of loss. Listen, the Bible in Philippians 4, 6 tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's easier said than done, right? Well, listen, these are songs that we look at in Psalms for times of anxiety and fear. Aren't you thankful that the Psalms are not just a, a, a hymnal full of songs that are just joy all the time? That they're, they're filled with, with fear 
and grief and anger, all of the emotions that, that a lot of times the modern church pushes out and ignores, a lot of those things are really the main topics of the Psalms. And so Psalm 91 is titled, My Refuge and My Fortress. And so in times that we're anxious and afraid, we can have assurance that God is our refuge and our fortress. Let me show you four things today. Number one, God will save us. This brings us that first point of assurance that God saves us from the wrath that we deserve. Secondly, God will protect us. He will deliver us ultimately and finally into eternity. And fourthly and finally, God will hold onto us. Let's look at the first one together. God will save us. The author of this psalm uh, begins by, by putting salvation in the hands of God himself, in the hands of the Lord. Uh, it, it, the, the author, we don't know explicitly who it is. It could be Moses, um, but, but he's not named. It's grouped with Psalm 90 that was written by Moses. They're probably grouped not necessarily because of the author, but because of the uh, similar opening lyrics in these songs in Psalm 90, verse 1 that I preached last week, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And to dwell in the Lord, what that means is that we rest in him, that we find our hope in him, that we remain in his salvation. This psalm begins very similarly in verse 1. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. And so in the shelter and in the shadow, isn't that a good place for us to, to dwell, amen? And when we're, we're afraid or when we're anxious that we're called to dwell in the shelter and the shadow of the almighty God. Those of you that are parents understand what it means. You, you probably all got at least one kid that abides in your shadow Y'all know what that's like? Like you turn around, you're like, oh, shoot. You know, just like they're always there, even when you don't want them to be. Uh, my wife and I always say, we'll talk to you at 10. Like, that's it. Like, because we're, we're not going to have a conversation until the kids are, you know, they've had their NyQuil. And um, that's a joke. <clears throat> that's a joke. But like once they're in bed, then we can actually have an adult conversation. But, but, but just like a, a child may always abide in your shadow, that's the imagery that this psalmist is portraying, that, that we will always be close to the Lord. And, and if we're not careful, at times we're tempted to feel like he's far away from us. You ever feel like that? You feel like God's just far away? That he's distant? That even though you've tried to get a, a proximity to him and get close to him, he just feels so far away? Friend, let me tell you. I understand how that feels, and I've been there, but it is not God who is distant. It is not God who is, who is distanced and removed himself from us. He is always available and close to us. We can dwell in his shadow. We can dwell in his shelter, salvation that's built and brought to us by Jesus' cross and his death and resurrection. So not only does God save us, but he remains with us. Verse 2 cries out, my refuge and my fortress that, that we continue to abide in him all the days of our life. We stay with him. God is our safe protector. He's a refuge. He's a fortress. He's a place that we run to when we don't know what to do or what to say. Uh, my oldest child and I went to a, uh, a concert a couple weeks back, Pierce the Veil. Changed my life. It was amazing. Um, but we went to see Pierce the Veil, and they're a pretty heavy band, and... Um, and I don't know if you guys know this trend of moshing or not. 
Um, but, but moshing is basically like when a lot of rockers want to dance. They don't actually dance. They just fight each other. It's really strange occultic practice, okay? And so here I am, just shy of 40, going, you know, and there's all these like 19-year-olds in this nightclub, and my daughter's there, and, um, and they, they, start, they start talking about, you know, we're going to get in the pit and mosh, and I'm like, this sounds dangerous. I don't like this anymore. <clears throat> One of the lyrics of Pierce the Veil's song says, if you didn't go home injured, would you say it was a good show? And I was like, okay, we're in bad bad place here. And so my 14-year-old daughter is, is taking video, you know, of, of her favorite song, and, and their most popular song comes on, and everyone's like, yeah, let's go wild. And I'm like, okay, this is going to get crazy. And she had a railing in front of her, and she starts videoing the, uh, her favorite song. And I put my arms kind of around her on that railing, and I just get as wide as I can. Man. I'm like, <laughs> here we go, you know like I'm on a East Coast chopper or whatever. And, and, and I'm like, I'm going back to like my, my basketball days and remembering how to box out. And I just feel these like, these kids just like pummeling me in the back, right? And I'm doing everything I can to, to like guard Bella and be around her, right? And, and after the concert, I was like, did you feel them like moshing and throwing people into us and stuff? And she's like, no, I didn't know they were doing that. And I was like, that's right, you didn't know. Because dad's back here busting heads on these teenagers, you know. <laughs> and, and as I'm reading Psalm 91, of course, you know, this is where my gospel brain goes. I'm like, man, this is, just takes me back to pierce the veil. You know, I have a little spiritual moment as I'm reading Psalm 91. But how many calamities are we not even aware of because our, our good Father has boxed us out from them, amen? Like that, 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 that God, sometimes he graces us to even see the escape. You know that? Like sometimes we can, we can visibly, verbally, whatever, we can be aware of it and acknowledge, man, that was a close call and God has spared me and God has blessed me, but how many calamities would befall us that, that God doesn't even grace us with the acknowledgement to even know they were there in the first place? He just removes them from us. We're never even made aware of the danger that we're in because we have a good and protective heavenly father. God is our refuge. He is our fortress. And ultimately, he saved us from the ultimate calamity, which is the wrath and eternal damnation that we all deserve. And he's done that, just like, just like an old man at a Pierce the Veil concert, he's done that by absorbing the pain himself. Jesus came to earth. What we celebrate at Christmas is Jesus putting on flesh, Jesus didn't begin at Christmas. He has eternally existed. He puts on flesh and humbles himself to be born of a woman, to, to be lowly and, and dependent on human beings for sustenance and survival. He grows up, lives a perfect life, and then dies on the cross. Do you understand what Jesus is doing on the cross as he stretches out his hands and he dies for the sins of the world? He is willingly absorbing the punishment for your sins. The punishment that should have landed square on your shoulders doesn't go to you, but instead goes to Jesus Christ, God's Son. That's the, what the gospel is. That's what the good news is, is that, that he can be our refuge and our fortress because he has absorbed God's wrath in our place. And so we understand that he will save us. Secondly, he will protect us. This song goes on to describe how God is our protector in this life as well as eternally. 
In verse three, uh, I'll pick up. The psalmist sings, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. I want to take a moment on some of these to explain what the imagery is. Fowler is, is a, a bird catcher. And, and the snare of the fowler would have been like a slipknot, almost like a lasso that they would throw and, and, and try to catch birds with. And, and, and so the, the psalmist is comparing uh, the, the, the snares of life, sin and temptation and hardship that, are, that come for us. He says that God will deliver us from those things and deadly pestilence, which is disease and sickness. Verse four says, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Buckler would have been the leather straps on the back of a large shield that, that a lot of shields in, in these days, BC days, would have, would have been large enough to hide multiple people behind. Even the man carrying it could bring other people in behind him. And so the idea is that, that we can come close to God and he will cover us like a, like a mother bird covers her young. Verse five says, you will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. The, the imagery here is death, that thousands could die around you, but, but he, he's illustrating that God will keep you going. Verse eight says, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. This is a good verse for 2020, right? Ain't no plague coming in my house. We're staying, staying healthy around here. And, and, and I want you to think about this as you read those verses and you hear about how, how all of these bad things are not going to happen to you. I want you to take a moment and think about how those exact things have happened to you. Loved ones have died. You've gotten sick. You've, you've dealt with calamity and tragedy. And I want you to just kind of rest in the tension that sometimes it doesn't feel like this is true. Can I say that? I know I'm not supposed to say that as a preacher, but it, but it feels like that. Our experience seems to argue with what the Bible is saying here. And so let me, let me give you two applications of this portion of the psalm. Application number one, I would argue that generally God does protect us in this life. Um, I, I would say that yes, bad things happen. Yes, uh, horrible things befall us. That We get sick, we die, tragedy comes, grief overwhelms us. All of those things certainly do happen but how much more they would happen if God were not protecting us and watching out for us. And so I would call you to look at your life and acknowledge those things, but also count your blessings. He has been better to you than you deserve, I promise. He's been better to me than I deserve. Listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a wealthy man by any means, but sometimes I have the wonderful divine privilege of eating beef jerky. Like I can just buy beef jerky at a gas station sometimes when I have the money and I can just eat that. And I'm like, you know what? God's good. It's a good reminder for me. So application number one is that God generally does bless us uh, for being his children. Application number two, God's promises of blessing and protection are primarily spiritual. Now this is really important for how you read your Bibles. 
that, that, that what the psalmist is doing is giving us physical language to illustrate spiritual truth. It doesn't mean the physical is untrue, but it means that it primarily finds its fulfillment in the spiritual realm. You see, this is a passage that prosperity preachers have misapplied to mean that we should never suffer. Nothing bad should ever happen to God's people, and if anything bad ever does happen to God's people, it means you didn't have enough faith. Y'all probably heard that preached before, that God wants you to always be healed of whatever you're dealing with health-wise, or God always wants you to prosper and have more money than you have right now. That is not the message that the Bible proclaims. It's not. And sadly, when people preach that wrong message, oftentimes they preach that if you don't receive all the financial blessings that you want, and if you don't receive healing from whatever disease or sickness that you have, if that doesn't come to you, then, then it's not God's fault, it's your fault for not having enough faith. What a crippling weight to try to walk under. Run that to its natural end, right? If it's God's will that none of his children suffer ever, then what would have to happen is all of us would need to avoid physical death altogether. That doesn't happen. None of us get out alive. Not only do we die, but many faithful saints suffer their entire lives. So what are we to make of these promises? Generally speaking, we're more blessed and protected practically and physically than we would be if we didn't honor and worship the Lord. And secondly, spiritually speaking, these promises are always true spiritually. In January, we're going to start uh, going through the book of Hebrews. And we're going to spend six or seven months in Hebrews next year. And, and one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 11, which gives us a list of Old Testament saints that, that lived out their faith. And 11.13 in Hebrews says, these all died in faith. All these people of great faith, the author of Hebrews says, they all died though. It's just like this, this really morbid reminder. Like they did a lot of great things for the Lord. They loved the Lord. They believed the Lord. And then they all died. And, and not only that, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Namely, he's, he's writing about the patriarchs of Genesis as God had brought a covenant to them and said, I'll give you this land and I'll give you these descendants. And then they die without having received that promise. And so what, what the author of Hebrews is wrestling with is, does that make God a liar? Does that mean that he is untrue or unfaithful? No. You see, the covenantal blessing was primarily spiritual. Although physical fulfillment did come, God's promises to his people are primarily spiritual. And so if you read Psalm 91, and you read about how God's going to keep you safe from everything, and you look at your life and you're like, I feel like I haven't been safe from much at all. I've been abused. I've been mistreated. I've been unfairly treated. I've been sick, I've lost loved ones, I've, I've, been, I've been impoverished. If all those things come at you, let me, let me encourage you that God is speaking to you spiritually, and he is promising you something so much greater than comfort in this life. It's eternal comfort. And so here's a principle I want you to take home with you today. Everything that you lack physically is in your possession spiritually. If you're a child of God, I want, you to, I want you to think about that. Everything that you lack physically is in your possession 
spiritually. There's nothing, spiritually speaking, that God has held back from those who have repented and placed their trust in Jesus. That means if you're poor physically, can't pay your bills, you are rich spiritually if you worship Jesus. And not only does, are you rich spiritually, but he gives you a family that will help you practically. If you're in pain physically, you are guaranteed a pain-free eternity. If you're in grief and depression, the joy of heaven is yours right now in Christ. All of these things are in your possession. Romans 8, 35. Paul, as he writes to the Romans, says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, Paul understood that a life lived for Christ would not be filled with health, wealth, and prosperity. Rather, it would be filled with tribulation, distress, persecution, and famine. He says, we are killed all the day long. And then look what he says in the very next verse, verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Only in the economy of the gospel of Jesus Christ can those who are killed be called conquerors. When your fears and worries and stress number a thousand at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, the Lord is your refuge and he has already given you the guarantee of victory, spiritually speaking. Physically, you are weak, you are frail, you are vulnerable, but spiritually, you are invincible in Christ. And so if you're just kind of limping along without the hope of Jesus in your life, this is what you're missing. This is, if you, if you look at Christians who have suffered great loss and, and turmoil and, and lots of hardship in life, and you say, I don't know how they go through it, this is how. They place their hope in something beyond this life, not this one. Their hope is not in comfort in this life. Their hope is in eternal glory in the one to come. Number three, God will deliver us. So not only does God save us and protect us, but, but we know that whatever hardship comes upon us, we know that ultimately and finally in eternity, God will deliver us and glorify us in heaven, in his presence for all days. God's faithful, and he will do what he has promised to do. That same passage in Romans that I read from continues by assuring us that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Verse 38, after talking about, Paul says, we're killed all the day long, but we're more than conquerors. He continues in verse 38 and says, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when you face hardship and it scares you to death, and you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Your spiritual reality is you can stare it straight in the face and you can say, even you cannot separate me from the love of God, which is mine in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. In God's protection of us, he is ushering us along to glory. You guys remember that? I told you all about this one time, maybe twice, I don't know about going to Myrtle Beach and staying at the Economy Inn. Y'all remember that story? My wife hates when I bring up that story. 
But I was going to beat all the other dads, and we were going to drive through the night and get to the beach and beat all the traffic and stuff, and we'll just stop somewhere on the way. And the only place that had vacancy was the Economy Inn, this black and gold hotel, 45 minutes from the coast. And we had this beautiful condo reserved that we were going to the next day. But the night before, we ended up having to stay at the Economy Inn that was so nasty, my wife refused to even sleep on the bed. She, she, she's like, I'll sleep on an air mattress on the floor instead of getting in that bed. And, and sometimes life feels a little bit more like the economy in, doesn't it? <laughs> but the promise that we have spiritually is we're on our way somewhere. We are on our way to paradise. We have been given the assurance of it, but we are on transit to that place. We're pilgrims passing through this life. Now look at, as the psalm continues, verses 11 through 13. And the psalmist writes this beautiful thing that's fulfilled in a unique way in verses 11 through 13. He writes, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Now the imagery in this part of the song is very striking. It's again, poetic imagery. It's not speaking of literally us like going through life and like stomping lions and stuff like Simba or Mufasa. Um, what, what's happening is, is the psalmist is using this analogous language to illustrate uh, what our life will be like walking with the Lord spiritually. It's poetic, but it's actually pointing us to the one who would ultimately deliver us. Now, one of the beautiful things about the psalms is they are quoted in the New Testament all the time. They're, they're filled throughout the New Testament. So the New Testament writers look back to the Old Testament Psalms all the time. Now this particular passage is quoted in the New Testament. You want to guess who quotes it? Jesus, the Apostle Paul, Peter. None of those guys quote it. The devil quotes it. Second place finisher in Georgia's fiddle contest. He's the one that, he's the one that quotes it. Okay? Satan quotes Psalm 91. And when he quotes it, he's quoting it to Jesus during his temptation. You remember when Jesus, after he was baptized, we're going to celebrate some baptisms today. After Jesus is baptized, he's ushered by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. He doesn't eat uh, anything for 40 days in the wilderness. And during this 40-day period of, of uh, kind of uh, sanctification as he is set apart um, for the work that he is going to do, um, Satan comes to him and he tempts him. The first temptation, of course, he's hungry. And so he tempts him to turn the, the stones and the rocks that he sees into bread. And Jesus answers him with scripture. Satan then takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point on the temple wall. And he, he tempts him to jump off and Jesus resists that temptation as well to prove that he is God. Um, and he again uses scripture to refute that. And the third temptation is Satan takes him up on a mountain and he, and he offers him all the kingdoms of the world if he just bow down to Satan. And he again, for the third time, answers with scripture and refutes the temptation. Now in that middle temptation, when Satan takes him up on the pinnacle of the temple, that's when Satan quotes Psalm 91. You know, Satan knows the Bible Amen? Like, he probably knows it better than most of us. He'd been around a while. And, and, and what he's tempting here, he, it's, it's actually kind of genius on the devil's part. He's tempting Jesus to prove Scripture right. He's saying, just, just fulfill what Psalm 91 says. Let me read it to you in Matthew 4. 
It says, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again as it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So again, Satan is twisting scripture and he's saying, Jesus, why don't you, why don't you prove to be who you say you are and fulfill Psalm 91? Psalm 91 says that the angels will catch you and you won't be allowed to, to dash your foot on a rock or twist your ankle or anything like that. Why don't you just jump off of this and prove that? But what I love about this is notice what Satan doesn't quote. He stops short and he doesn't quote verse 13, which says, the serpent you will trample underfoot. You see, the plan of the Father was not that Jesus would be caught by angels. Quite the opposite. The plan of the Father is that the angels would stand back and not catch the Son, and, and, and that the Son's foot would not leap from the temple mount, but instead would receive a spike through it on the cross. His foot was meant to crush the serpent, not pridefully try to prove himself. And Satan was scared to death to quote that line from Psalm 91, that the serpent would be trampled underfoot. Because it reminded Satan of Genesis 3.15 when God spoke to him, the serpent, and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, God ultimately and finally delivers us not through angels, but through Christ. Not through protection of the, the bad things that come to us in this life, but protection eternally. He delivers us he delivers us from eternal death by the death of our sinful flesh and through the death of Jesus on the cross that delivers eternal life to us. Fourthly and finally, we're comforted in our anxieties because God will hold us. And what I love about how this song ends is the tense changes. Verses 1 through 13, the worshiper sings about God. But in verses 14 through 16, they're sung from the perspective of God himself, which is meant to remind us that this is a message ultimately from God, inspired through his writers directly to you. And the message he sends to you today is one of assurance and security. Verse 14 says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. I was at Seanette's eating breakfast this morning, and a guy said, hey, Will. And I said, hey, man. <laughs> and, and I just tried to, you know, play it off and drink my coffee. And then he, he just uttered the, just the horrifying words. He said, you don't know who I am, do you? And I'm like, thanks for calling me out in that. <laughs> he might be here. I don't know. I, um, but I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, man. And, and he told me who he was, and I did know him. And I, I you know, was embarrassed and all those things. But um, you know what I love about verse 14 is like how easy it is to have a relationship with God. Look at the end of that verse. I will protect him. Why? Because he's impressive or because he's holier than everyone else or because he makes sure to be at church every time the doors are open. No, he says, I will protect him because he knows my name. 
that's a pretty low bar, right? <laughs> like, imagine having someone in your life, if you can remember my name, I'll give you the world, right? That's a low bar. And this is how God bestows his love upon us freely. There's not a high expectation from us. His grace is truly grace. It's free. We just have to know him. He continues in verse 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will rescue him and honor him. Just let that blow your mind for a second. You just got to know his name. You just have to know Jesus and he'll give you eternal life. He'll give you all of these spiritual promise in your possession today and he'll answer you anytime you call. He'll be with you in any trouble you have. He will rescue you. And then I love the ending of this verse. You, you will be honored by God. Not only given salvation from the hell you deserve, but you will be honored by him. That, you know what that means? That means God is proud to call you his child. Isn't that just mind-blowing? That you who have committed such great sin against a perfect God, that he freely saves you, and then he says, I'm proud that you're my son. I'm proud that you're my daughter. The last verse says, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You know, we're not all promised a long life. Many people are taken far too early. But again, we see the spiritual reality of this promise from God. He has given us eternal life. And every day that we're given on earth is a blessing from him and is designed to show us salvation. And, and the joy that we get is we get to point others to that salvation as well. And so we can praise him for that because it's all through Jesus' work. Because Jesus came from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to die in our place, to raise from the dead, he has freely given eternal life to us. And if you've not made that commitment to him, I would invite you, I would implore you, I would beg you to give your life to Jesus today to turn your life over to him, and it's as easy as just asking him to forgive you of your sins. And so as we uh, consecrate this time, um, I wanna ask you to bow your heads, and I wanna lead us in a time of prayer. And I wanna pray that God would work in your heart. Whatever that need may be, you know what it is, and the Lord knows what it is. No one else needs to know. But whatever it is that you need today, God wants to fill it for you. The Father does not wish to hold back from you. And so if it's, a, if it's a prayer of salvation today, if you've never become a Christian, I would invite you to take this moment to, to pray for that, to ask Jesus for that. If it's fear and anxiety of what's to come, maybe it's financial, maybe it's health-related, maybe it has to do with your loved ones, family that's sick, I would ask you to turn all that over to Jesus today and trust him that no matter what calamities may come upon you, that the spiritual realities of this psalm are true for you. Whatever need you have, collectively, we want to take them personally to God and place them in his hands. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.